Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. Hey, everybody. My name is Carisha Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers here at Whole Whale and your host for today's show. Thanks for listening. Today on the pod, we have Kate Cochran, CEO of Upaya Social Ventures. Uh, Upaya Social Ventures is a nonprofit that creates jobs for the extremely poor with impact investing. Kate, thanks for coming on the show. How are you doing? Great. Thanks so much, Carisha, for having me on. Yeah, I'm really excited for today's conversation. And I think we can just dive right in here, uh, starting with what is Upaya um, and how does your work, how does the work that your team does contribute to the overall mission? Sure. So Upaya is a 10-year-old organization that uh, invests in really early stage companies, but we don't invest for the financial return. We invest so that they can create jobs for the extreme poor. We have 11 people on our team and they're split between Seattle and Bangalore. Okay. Where is Bangalore? (laughs) Bangalore is in India and that's where um, our, our program work is right now. And what kind of, I was able to dig through your website a little bit, and I noticed some of the businesses and the kind of business model that you guys do. Can you explain a little bit more about exactly like the incubator stage, um, how you kind of vet these different businesses and peoples and communities? Sure, sure. So we have made 21 investments, and they are um, companies that do things as um, diverse as uh, one company makes these really cool biodegradable plates out of palm leaves, and they uh, create jobs for the people who collect the palm leaves and the people who actually make the the plates uh, in their factories and other companies that we've invested in make other companies we have invested in work with artisans who make saris and silk scarves. And then there's another company that is doing incredibly well and they are in the waste management business and they have managed to create dignified, safe jobs uh, for people who are, who are moving landfill waste away from recyclable waste. Mm. Yeah, that's that's hard work. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and very often it's very dangerous work. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that they've been able to make it safe um, is something that attracted us. But we come in really, really early. Mm. Uh, we're an investor who tends to invest when companies are just getting their idea off the ground. And we try to be there to, to help them get it going. And then other investors come in later. Yeah. And while I was digging through the website, I think that's what I love in particular, um, really getting on the ground to where people are coming up with these ideas at really the seedling stages um, and really providing that support that wouldn't be there necessarily um, and investing back in their communities. I think oftentimes when we have these big business ideas and ventures, we kind of lose touch and kind of lose I guess you're grounding, um, but being able to invest back in your community, I think is something that's really important. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I know you guys have an annual gala, um, <laughs> which I'm sure has also been affected by COVID-19 and the pandemic and quarantine. Um, so can you tell us just first about your annual gala as it is without the effects of the pandemic? Sure, absolutely. So um, 
like so many organizations, um, our budget is really reliant on one big fundraiser every year. Um, our annual gala, we've been doing it for about five years, and it has uh, been responsible for 25% of our budget. Wow. Uh, yeah, so so really, really an important event for us. We don't do many other events during the year. It all kind of comes down to the gala. Yeah, definitely. Um, my own nonprofit that I'm a part of, Prep for Prep, they put on a huge like lilac ball, they call it, um, which comes, which makes up a pretty large sum of their budget. Um, I don't know anything that they've done towards COVID-19 and that kind of impact, but I'm interested more in your organization and how... Um, you guys have kind of rearranged your plans in terms of putting on this gala and continuing forward. Yeah, so uh, for us in 2020, our gala was scheduled for March 6th. Mm. And we're in Seattle. So everyone probably remembers March 6th was really early in the pandemic. Uh, people around the country were beginning to talk about it. In Seattle, we were hit with um, cases early. Mm -hmm. But still, I remember on February 28th, I got a call from a colleague who said, I'm, I'm a little worried about the gala next week. Should we put out some talking points? Should we tell guests um, anything? And at that point, and just to show how fast things change, um, mm -hmm. that was on a Thursday. I remember thinking, oh, that seems kind of alarmist. Yeah. This is a virus that's very far away. And then, you know, within... Um, 48 hours, I think yeah. the first fatality happened in Seattle mm -hmm. and it became very real and very serious and the health department was talking, um, was making announcements, but they weren't making any um, official requests that gatherings be canceled. Um, and again, our gala was a week away. So we ended up uh, making a decision on the Monday of the week of our gala that wow. we were going to flip it and make it fully virtual. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would not be honest if I didn't say we were really scared. Yeah. You know, obviously it was really important. None of us had experience in doing a virtual event like this. Mm. Um, the, the one um, thing that I'd, I'd recommend to people who are facing situations like this is because we made a decision on Monday meant that we took the decision making back into our own hands. We weren't waiting every day to see what the announcement from the health department would be, you know, wondering and trying to sort of hedge, we got to say, okay, we're going to do it this way. Let's figure out how to do it the best. Yeah. And I really love that idea of being proactive versus reactive. And you kind of touched on this question that I was thinking as you were explaining this as, do you think that because it was on your radar, you were able to kind of make that decision early, that that was like the defining factor in kind of creating the success that your annual gala was? You know, honestly, I do think it was a big part of it. We were the only nonprofit that I heard about that canceled as early as we did. We notified all of our guests on Monday. And then, but we were also really explicit about what was going to happen. You know, we told our guests on Monday, we're not going to be doing the in-person gala. We will find a way to connect with you this week. And of course, at that point, we hadn't figured it all out. Yeah. So we said, we will email you tomorrow. And again, we were sort of very definitive. And then we set up a, um, just a routine of instead of an in-person gala, we did a four-day campaign, essentially, where we okay. communicated with our people every day. Um, we released a video. We, we yeah. did things that they started expecting. And I think that, that really helped. And I should say, so our goal for the gala was to raise $200,000. 
you know, Monday I was in my my head thinking, okay, maybe we'll raise a hundred thousand this way. And what am I going to do with our budget? Really worried. <laughs> Ultimately, we raised three hundred and ten thousand. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So so in in some of the things you know that we learned, I'm. I, we were so surprised by the success and so happy with the success that we've been really wanting to share it with our nonprofit colleagues who might be facing the same kinds of choices. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm really intrigued by what you mentioned earlier. Um, not only the success of your gala going above and beyond your goal, but also this four-day campaign that you were running prior to the gala. I think communication is key with any audience and especially tumultuous times where you don't really know what's going to happen today, tomorrow, or even the day of the gala. So I'm interested in what this four-day campaign looked like. How are you communicating with your audience? Yeah. So basically it was a combination emails with embedded videos and we sort of deconstructed the program of the gala mm. and turned it into videos. You know, for example, the first day we had our board chair and gala chair made a yeah. video and she dressed in a beautiful sari and she looked like she would have looked if she had been at the gala welcoming yeah. everyone. But instead she was explaining, this is what we're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. And um, so they, the emails communicated what the campaign was. It, they gave an update, but every day we kind of made sure we had something new and fresh mm. to talk about. And I think that that, you know, and people supported us from the beginning, but I think at the, the early stages, they're like, oh, is this going to work? But then they kept watching the campaign and, you know, we had, you know, they, they could see the success and then each day they wanted to hear how it was going. Um, so it kind of built some momentum into it. Mm. And I like that idea that you mentioned of momentum, like kind of that skepticism at first of, oh, you know, maybe I'll watch this video, maybe not, maybe they will. But being consistent, I think, is what's really helpful in this and saying, yeah, like, sure, things are kind of tough right now, but we're doing this still and we're committed to doing this until the end, just like we promised. Yeah, exactly. And I think that sort of the consistency and, you know, we did the videos because I think when people hear virtual gala, your first thought is like, okay, so we're going to do like a, a huge Zoom party or something. Yeah. <laughs> we're all going to get together. And um, we made a decision, and I know other nonprofits are looking at this question too, that we didn't think we would be able to get our whole community to, you know, sit around their computer on a Friday night <laughs> when our gala was going to be. And yeah. so that's why we decided to say, instead of doing one virtual event, we will do a four-day campaign that mm -hmm. has elements of it. We also didn't want it just to feel like a fundraising campaign. We wanted it to yeah. feel fun. Yeah. Um, and so the videos, we were intentional about, like I said, dressing up like we were at the gala. And um, we included, for example, our auctioneer, whom everybody who came to our gala got, has known. He's been working with us for the last three years. So we hired him to do videos with us. These videos were, were sort of a fun injection of um, what it would have been like to be at the gala. Yeah, I love that. And I think it kind of leans into another question that I'm 
wondering about how you kind of translate these different events that happen at like an in-person gala where like everybody's dressed up at a table to sitting on your couch in a dress <laughs> um, <laughs> on Zoom. <laughs> It's, I mean, and, and obviously there are limits, but you know, you, you mentioned tables and tables really mattered to us. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, we had table captains like so many nonprofits will have at their events. Um, our table captains really owned their responsibility and wow. they built their own fundraisers on, we use a, a, class, a platform called Classy that allows for sort of sub fundraisers can sit under your main fundraiser. And so they, owned their fundraisers. They encouraged their guests to give. They got on the phone, they talked to them, they sent them emails. And so it's like they had virtual tables. Yeah. (laughs) And that was really, really helpful. Yeah. And I really love that it's like a group effort. People who you invited to your fundraiser were not only supporting financially, but also supporting in spirit, you know, emotionally, like carrying your mission and nonprofit on their backs as well. Absolutely. And, you know, as much as, you know, that the funding was so wonderful to see it come in, it was almost as wonderful to see the comments on our webpage. Um, People, you know, sending us, you know, words of support. And, and, you know, the other thing I'd say is because we were first, we definitely got, you know, some of the the sympathy and the novelty Mm. where people were beginning to hear about uh, the epidemic, and they're beginning to get worried about it, and they saw how it was affecting us. And I, I know that many of the people who supported us, you know, we were a concrete, positive thing that they could do yeah. while they were hearing about this thing was scaring them. One other thing, though, that I that I'd say that um, was really wonderful, and um, other nonprofits should think about as well, is you know, of course, we started this saying, okay, how can we engage the people who would have been at our gala? And then it didn't take us too long to realize, like, actually, we should be engaging everyone. Yeah. You don't have to be coming to our gala to support us. And so, you know, we had donations from, you know, all over the country, from other countries, you know, people who um, would would have never been planning to come to the gala. And in fact, of the $310,000 we raised, half of it came from people who wouldn't have been, who weren't registered as guests. Wow. I'm interested in how you engage these other people that weren't necessarily coming to the gala itself. So a lot of it was social media. And it was, you know, again, it's about those individual relationships that you have. You know, I think Upaya and our marketing team, and, you know, we had wonderful messaging. We were sending things out. But I think it's like the table captains who are saying, Mm -hmm. I'm involved in this. And this really matters to me. Um, And I was certainly, you know, on my own, you know, Facebook page uh, sharing it. And, um, you know, one of my favorite donations came from my husband's aunt in North Carolina. Oh, wow. um, Who, you know, who just, you know, saw what I was doing. And this is her first gift to Upaya, but, you know, wanted to to support us. And so so there's a much broader community that we could engage virtually, which was really great. Were you running any other like social media, like ads, for example? Um, yeah, we, we weren't doing ads. We were doing, um, we were explicitly sort of premiering our videos each day, um, Mm -hmm. on on Facebook and we were doing updates 
mm -hmm. uh, each day. And then on Thursday, we opened our live auction, which we did virtually as well. Yeah. And so each item we were, we were promoting, uh, again, with videos, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, meant that our feed was pretty active and people yeah. were responding. And so um, there's definitely some buzz that we were getting out of that. Yeah, and it helps the algorithm bump your <laughs> your post yeah. up as well. Yeah. <laughs> was Facebook the only platform where you you were running things on um, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn? Actually, so so we use all of those for other reasons, but for this particular campaign, it was just Facebook. Mm. Did you see any success with like Facebook fundraisers? You know, because we were trying to get everybody to um, go through our own web page um, yeah. so that we could see the numbers, um, yeah. we did have one uh, birthday Facebook fundraising yeah. campaign that happened, uh, yeah. which was great and wonderful. Um, but we were essentially encouraging people to share our own page yeah. on their Facebook posts. Yeah, going back to the site and trying to become yeah. a part of like the bigger gala yeah, um, 40 campaign. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And I think I also love just going on about the things that I love about this <laughs> gala, <laughs> that it was kind of split up between the four days, right? Which I think allows for one, not such a heavy lift for people day to day, you know, like you can't go to this event for a couple hours and then come home. It's really just kind of breaking up your day at home on the couch saying, oh, like I have to log on to this gala for the next five hours. Like, maybe not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly do believe that that is why we had such nice engagement because we were, it was a lower ask and it was fun. Yeah. And, you know, also I think that, you know, I mentioned that I'm not sure that our community thought we could do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not sure we thought we could do it. <laughs> um, you know, we put the goal out there. It was really obvious. We're trying to raise $200,000. Yeah. And then I, I do think that the campaign just sort of had rhythm where people mm. were checking in. Um, and, you know, that's another bit of advice that I'd give uh, my nonprofit colleagues that we were uh, kind of intentional and strategic about that. We knew going in there would be dips and we had some really wonderful board members and um, big donors who helped us inject big gifts at times when we thought there might be a lull. And in mm -hmm. fact, board member gave us a gift that we announced um, about three or four hours after we launched the campaign. Yeah. And so, you know, it went from kind of smallish gifts, smallish gifts, smallish gifts, like, whoa, all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> we're 20% you know, toward the goal. And I think that, you know, helped people, you know, kind of it is, you know, like a, a sporting event almost that kept checking to see how it's going. Yeah. Um, and if we were going to get there. Yeah, I love that, especially when sports weren't really a thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, it hadn't been canceled quite yet, but yeah, same, same, same mm. idea. But you know, that, that reminds me of one other thing that um, is, I, you know, all fundraisers know this. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we had wonderful technology. We, had, we have a wonderful marketing manager who wrote mm -hmm. great messaging. But it, it also was really important that we were on the phone. We were calling our supporters. We were making personal contact yeah. with them. Um, and our table captains, I mentioned, were doing the same thing. You know, I think if we had just done a really wonderful polished campaign and pushed mm -hmm. it out there through social media and through email, yeah, it would have been okay. But, you know, fundraising is fundamentally about relationships. Yeah. So, so don't forget to, to call people. Call people. Call call me, beat me. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I love that. Because I think also when you think about digital fundraising, um, you mostly think about maybe Facebook fundraisers, sending out emails, um, and kind of keeping that distance, um, that virtual distance between you as your organization, as the marketing team, and between your donors, um, trying to not get too personal, I think. But I think the magic is when you do get a little personal and start to call people and have that personal touch. And I think everybody's events, you know, sort of has a, a different culture. Mm -hmm. um, ours is fun. You know, people <laughs> like coming to it. Yeah. And so, um, and they like coming to it because they see old friends. And so yeah. we, we wanted to, to, you know, connect with our friends as well. And that helped. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about what made your gala a huge success um, over the past 20 minutes or so. <laughs> <laughs> if you could condense it down into a couple of tips, what would they be? Yeah. So, and I, I have some notes and I've, I've touched on a lot of them. So I'll just sort of summarize, you know, the first one is for us, what worked is we didn't try to replicate the live event. We stretched it out over a few days, over four days, uh, and used what worked well uh, in a virtual setting. But we didn't, number two is we still tried to have fun. It wasn't yeah. just uh, about a, a campaign. Number three is, as I was just saying, it's all about relationships. Mm. You know, don't forget to make those real connections with people. Yeah. Uh, number four, I mentioned our table captains. Uh, were so important. Really empower your volunteer fundraisers. Give mm -hmm. them tools to reach out to their community. Number five is control the momentum as much as you can. You know, recognize there will be some lulls and try to put something in place to kickstart the campaign after that. Number six, I, I haven't mentioned this, but it's a, it's a good point. Because we had such a time crunch, we had five days yeah. to do this, you have to be really organized and we were, and you, and not second guess yourself. You know, mm -hmm. fundraisers are often events that have so many different people involved and they're doing a lot. So you just have to make really crisp decisions. We had a meeting at 9 a.m. every single morning. We made decisions, yeah. we communicated it, and then everybody went off and did what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the seventh uh, tip is, as, as I mentioned, recognize that if you're virtual, you aren't limited by the people who would have come to your event. Reach out to a broader community. And then, you know, finally, um, I, I didn't mention this explicitly, you know, while we were really worried about making our own goals, of course, canceling this event had impact on all of our vendors. Mm. And, um, you know, remember your vendors. We were really happy that we were able to hire our auctioneer at his regular fee to come in and do videos with us because, you know, for him, this was a, a big jolt as well. That's my summary. Yeah, I, I love those. And I think just to call out a few that we touched on a little bit, I think is important in calling out again, because I think it kind of falls under the radar a bit is one really empowering your volunteers. I feel like being able to delegate and spread out that kind of responsibility of helping a greater good to others one, strengthens your community, but also two, pushes the, your agenda a little bit more um, and not so much work on your fundraising and marketing <laughs> team as well. I'm also interested, I want to say, in the kind of technology that you used. Are there any platforms that you think were particularly good um, in either organizing or even putting on your event? Yeah, so I mentioned Classy is our payment platform, which enables these sub-campaigns, and that worked really well. And in fact, if we hadn't had that, I don't know, like we couldn't have created it. Mm -hmm. um, short notice. Um, yeah. So that worked really well. Greater Giving was our auction um, software mm -hmm. and they were amazing. Uh, yeah. We've used them before for our events. 
but we've never done a virtual auction before. And they said, okay, that's, that's like a three week lead time to help you get ready to do that. And we said, we don't have three weeks. We have 24 (laughs) hours. And they said, okay, we're going to make it happen. And they did in 24 hours. Wow. Um, so that was, uh, greater giving was great. And then just internally, uh, to keep everybody on task and, um, aware of what was going on, we used Trello as an organizational tool and it was great. It was super helpful. Wow. Okay, cool. What was the, the fundraising one? Uh, greater giving. Greater giving. I think that'll be a really helpful tool, especially as we continue to kind of do these auctions, um, galas, fundraising events that would have been in person to <laughs> on your computer. I know a lot of people have been asking about what platforms are really great for that. So yep. thank and, you. And sure. They're pretty nicely uh, built out uh, for online kind of yeah. uh, options. Hmm. And what advice would you give other organizations who are looking to take their gala online, either due to pandemic, for example, or just trying to do something new? Yeah, you know, I'd say that, um, you know, clearly lots of organizations are proving it can work. Mm. Um, You know, find the things that make your event unique Mm. and try to represent them. Um, You know, for us, we felt that um, having our auctioneer around was, was helped our community connect with our campaign in the, in the same way that they would connect to our event. Yeah, that's great advice. Don't lose touch. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's a great st- place to stop for our main interview portion. <laughs> Thank you so much again for sharing your insights into something that kind of really took everybody by surprise. Absolutely. <laughs> I think there are a lot of gems in here that organizations can take into consideration when creating their own online galas. So thank you again. Thank you. Uh, But we're not done yet. We Uh have our rapid fire rounds, which is my favorite part of all the podcast episodes. This is just a list of 10 questions that we ask all our guests. Uh, I think they're a lot of fun and give us a chance to talk about topics that aren't necessarily covered in the main interview portion. We usually take about 30 seconds or so, but no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Are you ready to get started? I'm ready. Cool. What's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? Trello. Uh, mm-hmm. We've used it a little bit in earlier years, but we are going turbo this year and it's really valuable. Yeah, love that. I've never heard of Trello before. Um, here at Howell, we use Asana, which uh-huh. I really love, um, but maybe it's worth giving it a shot. <laughs> are there any tech issues you're battling with right now? So we're beginning to experience just too many tech tools um, and messaging coming in from Slack or from Trello or from Box or from email. And uh, we need to set up some clear rules about what's communicated where. Yeah, definitely. Overcomplicating can become a lot in communication. What's coming in the next year that has you most excited? So now that I think that we have gotten much better at learning how to do things virtually, Mm -hmm. Uh, Even when we don't have to, we're looking forward to making this part of our programming with our entrepreneurs so we can do more webinars and um, not limit ourselves to in-person events. Yeah. Can you talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now? Yeah. um, I think I was kind of cocky in my 20s. (laughs) When I look back, I think I, you know, thought I could figure anything out and I never went to people and asked for advice. Mm. And now I really... um, now I'm at the point in my career where I know enough to know all the stuff I don't know. And I'm always reaching out to peers and friends and mentors um, to hear their perspectives. 
Yeah. As someone in her 20s, (laughs) I can assure you we know nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you're already ahead of me. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, definitely, definitely a good one. Do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? Absolutely. And I've actually written a blog post about this. I've been a part of three NGOs that went out of Mm. business, two successfully, I think, and Mm. um, one less successfully because it I really think it's a function of how you prepare your stakeholders. Yeah. I just, I think that 1.6 million nonprofits in America is too many. Mm-hmm. And there's so many causes that would be better served by a merger of a lot of organizations, mm-hmm. you know, bringing their firepower to bear on the problem. Yeah. So like coming together as a collective to solve one common problem. Exactly. Instead of, you know, so many small organizations. Yeah. And kind of losing touch in a way too. Let's say you had a hot tub time machine back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself? I love this question. (laughs) Um, And particularly, I got into international development work in 2004 um, and had no background in it at that Mm. time. I wish I'd taken, I wish I'd kept a journal, like especially like my first trip to India, which is so overwhelming. And I wish I had recorded those observations at the time. Um, and then, you know, throughout the last 16 years. Yeah, definitely. Um, I went abroad to Mexico out of like the couple times that I went abroad and that was the only time I kept a journal and it's like the most precious thing to me. It's like, you can't recall all those memories unless you like write it down. What's something you think you or your organization should stop doing? Uh, so this is me in particular. I should stop looking at email more than twice a day. Huh. I keep Why do you trying to just look at it at the beginning of the day and the end of the day and disciplining myself. And then I just get too tempted and I get lost in the inbox. Yeah. I think I'm definitely guilty of checking my email at like 11 p.m. sleeping. <laughs> 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 yeah. Let's also say you had a Harry Potter wand for the industry. What would it do? It would, for once and for all, clear up all the questions about what is the role of the board? What is the role of the staff? Um, and I think we could work a lot better if, um, we all knew our roles. Yeah. Clearing the fog. (laughs) What's your favorite question to ask an organization or a board member? Um, it's always, um, tell me what I forgot. Tell me what I didn't put on this list or what should we be talking about that I didn't bring to the table. Yeah. I love that. Even asked you that before we got on on recording. (laughs) Uh, how'd you get started in the social impact space? Um, so there isn't one particular thing that I could say other than um, when I was in college, I was a big event planner. You know, mm. I did, you know, a lot of, um, you know, school spirit events and these kinds of things. And I remember 5.30 in the morning, um, one November morning, I was at a stop site and I was driving to a bonfire site that I was planning for that night. And it was this big event and we'd worked so hard on it. And I just had this epiphany. I realized if I'm going to work this hard on something, it really needs to do something more than excite a bunch of undergraduates for a football mm-hmm. game. And, <laughs> and, and that really just sort of became my thought about how I thought about my career. It's like, okay, it has to matter. I've got to do something that matters. Yeah. And I love that your epiphany came at a stop sign. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I don't even know why I was staying at the stop sign long enough to have that thought because at 5.30 in the morning, there was nobody else there. I guess it's kind of the calm of the morning, you know? (laughs) 
Maybe. Uh, what's a piece of advice your parents gave you that you did or did not follow? So I love this question and I couldn't yeah. think of one and I realized it's because I think my parents um, kind of knew me well enough that they knew I didn't really listen to advice. I was going to go my own way. <laughs> so they just, they just supported me and let me do that. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's a special skill to know that your kids kind of don't listen <laughs> and to just save your breath. I, I, I also go back to the cocky 20-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> knowing better. And last, but probably my favorite question is, what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? I, I gave this some thought. I think that it's really important to spend your 20s exploring both really you know big organizations well established organizations where you can learn best practices and get really good uh, skills and go deep in in some skills yeah. but also spend some time with scrappy startups hmm. where you get a lot of responsibility and you get to own things and you get exposed to things that you wouldn't be able to in a larger organization because that's that's such an important time to learn what is it you love doing and where do you want to build your career? You know, don't pigeonhole yourself too early, but also, you know, staying in organizations that are still um, very scrappy and then figuring it out may not give you the greatest training. Yeah, and I think that's part of like the post-grad quarter-life crisis of <laughs> thinking your first job has to be the perfect one and that's where you're gonna find all the happiness in the world. Absolutely. No, it's, it's just your first job. <laughs> yeah. There will be many others after that. Awesome. That ends our rapid fire round. <laughs> Great. That was really fun. Thank you so much. I always love the rapid fire round and it was especially fun this time. Oh, I enjoyed it too. Yeah. So where can people find you? Sure. On the web. Um, our website is www.upaiasv. B mm -hmm. as in Victor.org, upayasv.org. Um, we're also on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. Awesome. All the socials. <laughs> All the socials, exactly. Awesome. Thank you again, Kate. This has been a blast. Thank you, Carisha. Have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to Greg Thomas music.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. This has been episode number 180.